loaded, loaded podcast today. Topic Shea is going to talk quarterbacks. Uh, maybe five in the first round. Maybe it's three. It's just awesome. It, it, we were so pumped about it. We did something different too. We had Paige Sporanic on, who you know from social media, uh, her golf career. But she's going to do life advice with us as well. College football top twelve worst take and an open on the last week in Celtics coverage. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. I've thought a lot about this segment a week removed from us all learning late on a Wednesday night. You may, Yudoko would be suspended for the entire season. Um, you know, Sarudi would tell you this, but when this, when the segment popped up, when we were talking about how we wanted to do it, I didn't even really want to do it because I didn't have enough information. I didn't feel great about the information I had. And I'm going to kind of go through the timeline, but I'd say this past week, and this is saying something has been one of the dumbest fucking weeks I've ever seen on social media. And that's saying something. Okay, that's saying something. Not saying that this topic is more important than others, because it isn't. But the freedom that people had, knowing they had no idea what was going on, being completely uninformed and being like, whatever, never stopped me before. Like, I tweet a lot. Got to tweet about this. Uh, this, was, this was an all-timer of, of thoughts that were shared publicly. I love the crisis experts. I, I love how good so many of you are at watching the crisis play out that is not your crisis and then having time to think, knowing that this was a challenging situation for the Celtics, and then going, nah, should have done it this way. I'm not saying the Celtics situation or the way they handled it all was perfect. I don't think there's a version of this that plays out perfectly. I don't think that exists. But somehow people wanted to hold it to that kind of standard. There are things that I wish didn't happen. There are things that I, I wish, um, you know, I don't, I'd love to know how you can prevent speculation when it's something public that millions of people care about. It's just very hard to do that, um, and it's not fair, but to be realistic, it's, it's also fairly impossible to not have people speculate about stuff, and if you were one of the speculators sharing that, and I'm talking about like a real person in the media, then that's, that's more on you than it is the Celtics. Um, there's just such an arrogance in watching somebody else's problem play out and then suggesting, and again, like all of us are a little guilty of it whether it's you listening or me having this job, but to, to be someone that is consistently pointing out how, no, 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 no. Now that I've seen, now that I've sat and watched for 24 hours, here's how I would have played that when you know, you don't have the information, right? So the Celtics were trying to thread a very, very, not just the knee, a very difficult needle in feeling justified enough to suspend Ime for an entire season while also trying to not share that many details and be vague, but sort of um, like with, with, with great conviction in the press conference. Because when I watched the press conference, I was like, okay, these, 
these guys, it was Wick and, and Brad Stevens. I'm like, they are pretty certain, like they clearly fear, feel good about their position on this as much as they hate having to be up there and just and explain this, but they're only, only going to explain so much. They weren't going to share everything um, to be sensitive to not just sharing all of this private information, all right? And that led into, um, you know, some of the different ways this played out where it's like, wait, it's still somewhat private, but it's a public thing, again, that everyone cares about. So this is what happens, but they didn't want to share everything. So it was almost as if they were going, hey, we know this is a really big deal. This is a major news item. This will dominate for, for 48 hours. But we also don't want to have to share everything with you to justify our stance because we feel justified and at the same time respect some of the privacy in this matter, which is really like, think about that. I had a hard time explaining it, even though I knew when I wrote it down, I was like, this is what I'm trying to explain. Like, that's not an easy thing to do. I think I do look at things differently where I go, okay, what was the challenge here? I'm like, oh man, that was tough. That was kind of tough. So instead of just going, I'm just going to beat up everybody for, for, you know, I'm going to go with the Celtics, which is another thing that happens where it's like we have a pretty clear person to blame, maybe two people to blame here. And now we're just going to try to run to blame somebody else and be like, yeah, I know what happened over here, but let's talk about what happened over here. But like, no, 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 stay, stay on the first part. Stay, stay, keep your eyes on the first part because that's the part that matters. So the privacy part of this came up. I don't know what the perfect strategy was for this, okay? But one that I heard was either just fire him or suspend him and tell us nothing. Don't air out any of this. Don't talk about a consensual relationship. Don't don't talk about any of these elements. Are you fucking kidding me? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the reaction if the Celtics in September, right before media day, right as camp is about to break, go, hey, just little little tidbit for us this upcoming season. We suspended the coach and or we fired him and we're not going to tell you anything and we're not going to hold a press conference. Can you imagine if they tried to do that? That had to be one of the dumbest suggestions I've seen in some sort of controversial thing having to do with sports that I've ever, I've ever, and I'm talking about like not just real people. I, I don't bring the, any of these things up unless I see real people doing this. I'm like, what the fuck? are you talking about the amount of criticism where it'd be like, if you're going to do this, then you have to tell us something. And it's amazing how that turns. So that didn't really make a ton of sense. Um, there's also another reason why, you know, I've, I've mentioned this probably a few times. I know I have a, a good setup, you know, 20 years of doing this. Uh, it's not really what I set out to do, but I have a good life. I'm not going to complain. So, you know, even though I'm good at complaining, but one of the reasons I don't like this job is I know when something comes up, if I have no chance, and I'm not like a reporter, okay, but I've been around long enough. I have people that I can talk to, uh, but there's still a lot of stories where something happens. And I'm like, man, I wish I knew somebody involved in that. I wish there was somebody that I could kind of call or I wish, you know, but if I hadn't really developed the relationship and put the time in and then it's somebody who I don't know at all and something happens and it's the only time I've ever reached out to this person, that other person likely is going to be like, fuck this guy. And I don't blame them. Um, so I have a lot of sympathy when something comes up and you don't know really what's going on. And then you're the person that's on the air, especially after doing live radio for as long as I did. I am sympathetic to in the moment having to react to something that's sometimes confusing like this one was when I saw the Woj tweet. I was like, wait, what? You know, I didn't know. 
Um, I've been on the radio plenty of times where there's something comes down from the wire and it's like a big deal and you're going, all right, well, you know, I did map out a potential trade for Chris Bosch here for this segment. So hold on, let me, let me see how to navigate through this one. So I have a ton of sympathy for people in real time having to react to stories where we don't have all the facts. And I feel like as much as I try to, if I feel a certain way about something, I think you can, you can tell this if you've listened to me long enough, if I know something or I'm like, ah, you know, like I, I kind of go and it doesn't mean I get everything right either, but there are times where I feel really comfortable about talking about something or I'll hint at something. Uh, and there are also other times where I'm not super comfortable about it. And this was one I wasn't really comfortable about in the beginning because I didn't know the first information I got on this story. I was actually, it was totally wrong. It was completely wrong. So I'd ask this of, of other people that do this, uh, there's, there's plenty that have no contacts whatsoever, but I guess you just tweet a lot. So you're like, well, I, I tweet a lot. I don't really know what the fuck's going on, but let's just hit send on a few of these. Okay, fine. I get it. You know, like, hey, I, I need to be heard from. But like, say you have a huge platform. Say you are considered somebody, I don't know, that's really plugged into the NBA that can get on the phone with any team, right? Supposedly. And, and, and get it just a grasp. Like there are times where I'll go, hey, I know you can't tell me, not with this story. I know you can't tell me what's going on, but can you at least steer me in the direction so I don't sound like a complete fucking idiot if I have this opinion of, of this story? And a lot of times people will help me if I know who those people are. And I've, you know, I've put the time in over the years. I, I just, I can't fathom having hours and hours to prepare to how you want to talk about this story and still having no clue or not putting in any time to make sure that your first reaction is closer to being accurate. And the final thing I'll say on this, you know, I don't know when this will become part of the news cycle again, you know, whatever. I, I don't know what's going to happen. But let me ask you this question. Do you think the Celtics are just really stupid? Try to take your fandom away from it. Do you think they just said, hey, we're about to break camp here in a couple of days. Let's do something really fucking dumb. Let's get rid of our really good coach who proved himself in a big way. I thought he was a great coach last year. I didn't, you know, in the beginning, I didn't know. It was unknown. I liked the way he handled the team. I liked the way that he spoke to those guys. I liked that he got in, you know, they were two, two games away from winning an NBA championship. That's not who I thought that team was in January. It was one of the all-time turnarounds. One of the all-time turnarounds we've seen in season from a basketball team. I think the Celtics were like, hey, let's make things really hard on ourselves. Let's completely overreact and do something dumb and fuck our team up right before we're about to start the season. Because I don't think they're like that. Start the NFL week off right with a no-sweat same-game parlay every Thursday from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. It doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or already have an account. Every Thursday night, you get a free bets back if your NFL same-game parlay doesn't hit. Same-game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. All right, let's take a look. Cincinnati hosting Miami. Overall line is Cincy minus three and a half which is pretty crazy when you think about some of the Cincinnati lines and then kind of where they're at with Miami. You just do the classic, oh, short week. I know because of the hurricane, the guys got moved around. There's some debate on Twitter about whether or not that really means that much because it's a later game. They can do the walkthrough day of. Just trying to tell you what I'm seeing out there. Don't know what it means. But I do think sometimes we can exaggerate the impact of just changing up the travel for a team a bit. The total is 46 and a half. 
So, all right, let's let's go under because that's not fun. 46 and a half. Let's go Jamar Chase anytime touchdown score. And let's go give me River Craycraft. He's plus 850. So that may ruin, and I don't want to just give you all the best options on it. That might be a decent payout. Um, and considering, you know, it's one of those deals in the red zone, a guy pops open. So he's plus 850. The other ones are pretty straightforward. You get a total, you've got Chase scoring a touchdown. So do two easy ones and the payout being plus 850, um, which be beyond that if you hit all three legs of it. Build your own or choose from one of the popular same game parlays pre-built for you in FanDuel's top rated sportsbook app. However you want to play, you can bet the NFL every Thursday night with a no sweat same game parlay. Just sign up with the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N, if you don't already have an account. That's promo code Ryan to get free bets back if your same game parlay doesn't hit. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 and older, in select states, three plus legs, minimum $1 bet required, refund issued, non-withdrawable, free bets that expire seven days after receipt, max free bet $5. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. A month into the college football season, always good to catch up with my good friend Todd McShay of ESPN. So let's get right to it. Uh, we love talking about the quarterbacks for the 2023 class. How many first-round quarterbacks do you think there are at least today? I feel good about three, Ryan. Good to see you too, by the way. It's been a while. Um, I just get right to it. Sorry, you know that. Yeah, no, I know. You're you're all business now. We, we used to be friends, and now just, you know, it's just pod, podcast <laughs> only. I get it. Um, God, you're, a great, I think three, you're a great return texter. My bad. <laughs> all right, we're even. Um, I think three. I think C.J. Stroud from Ohio State's my my QB one, if you will. Um, I just, you know, there's questions like, is it is it so dialed down and made so easy for the, these Ohio State quarterbacks? Are they translating to the NFL? You know, but C.J. Stroud, to me, like the poise inside the pocket, he does have the mobility when he wants to use it. it seems like he's utilizing it a little bit more this year. One thing that scouts said to me. You know, coming into the season is that they want to see more of that. And I think we've seen a little bit more of that is if you put on a reel of his like anticipation throws and the ability to lead receivers and fit the ball in the tight spots, it's better than any other quarterback in this class. Now, in that same breath, there's also some inconsistency in, in terms of like, kind of streakiness that would be the best way I could put it. So that that's something that we're watching with Stroud. But to me, he's the most complete. And the other thing, too, talking to scouts coming into the season and, and just knowing what, what we know and what I know, I, I know size isn't everything. And, and we've, we've seen Russell Wilson overcome the, the 5'10 and change. But he was, he was 5'10 and like 214 pounds at the combine. Bryce Young, who's my, my second quarterback on the list in Alabama, I, I had scouts go in this summer and say that he was just over 5'10. And he weighed in in front of them at 186 pounds. So that's kind of unique. You know, Kyler's not all that big. I get Russell Wilson's not all that big, but they're kind of tightly packed. Bryce is not just short. He's lean. And so there's concern about his ability to hold up in the NFL over a long period of time. And I, I think that's why you're seeing a little bit of distance between Stroud and Young. I even I saw the other day my boy Kuyper tweeted out, his, his updated ranking, he, he has Will Levis from Kentucky, who's my third quarterback. He has him at number two ahead of Stroud. He also has Tyler Van Dyke from Miami and Anthony Richardson from Florida in the, his top 25, which I don't agree with. 
and maybe it's because I've, I've had the opportunity to see Anthony Richardson against Kentucky. And he's the most physically gifted quarterback in this class. It's not even close. But when I saw him, he was making his fourth start. Last year, he started two games, and, and he, uh, he completed 33 passes all season. So you see the physical gifts, and you know what it can be. And he comes on that first game against Utah, and he runs. He has that 45-yard run where he, he goes through his progressions and opens up on the left side, takes off running, and he's this big guy at 6'4", 225 pounds, that can run and can make, you know, big time throws down the field. But the consistency as a passer is not there yet. And, and when you have a guy like Mark Stoops, the Kentucky coach, is basically the defensive coordinator and one of the best defensive coaches in all of college football, implement a game plan and get his players to play with the, the gap discipline and the leverage discipline in the secondary that they played in, it kind of shut them down. And since then, we've seen defenses try to do the same thing, and AR's still struggling. So, And I saw Tyler Van Dyke two weeks ago against Texas A&M. Another guy, big. He's got a little bit of mobility, but he's a pocket passer, you know, true and true. And he, he loves he, – like he's at his best when he can throw down the field and vertical and when he has receivers that can get open. He doesn't have those receivers. He's playing in a Mario Cristobal offense in Miami that is predicated on the run and, and conservative passing game. And so it's just not working there right now. So to me, coming into the year, there were big projections on Van Dyke and Richardson, but the projections are, are you know, what we hoped we would see is not what we're seeing on the field. So I view those guys as, as kind of day two quarterbacks that maybe need another year. And especially in Anthony Richardson's case, like his focus should be on improving this year, coming back next year, starting to like win at a very high level of Florida because they're recruiting at a high level. And, and then maybe we're talking about him as the number one overall pick in 2024. But right now, even though he's got the, the physical tools to be a first-round pick, he's not playing anywhere close to that level. All right, I have a million follow-ups already. Let's, let's start with the last two guys that you mentioned that you have out of the first round. So Van Dyke doesn't have Restrepo as best receiver. He hasn't had him since yeah. the first two weeks. He gets benched this past week in the third quarter. Just not that good. and. And I, I, you're not the first person to say it, but this is somebody that, you know, maybe flirting with a first round thing if things were to work out. Uh, basketball, it's always different. I always feel like don't don't stay around too long and have them figure out all your flaws. Right, but, right. But yep. does he does he feel like a guy that already needs to come back based on the first month? Well, there's there's that theory of don't stay stick around too long to to have the the warts come up, but. There's also like the more practical theory in the, in this case, in Van Dyke and Richardson's case, like stay around long enough to start playing your best football. Like the history tells us, guys typically that have success in the league are the ones that stay around a little bit longer, play 25 plus games in college football. And it's not always the case, but the vast majority of guys that we're talking about uh, in the NFL that are really high level starters are guys that played a lot of ball in college. And there's, there's, it's simple, but there's something to that. You, you have to have experience. You're not just going to walk in the league against grown-ass men and, like, and think that your physical tools are going to overcome your lack of experience. It just doesn't happen. It, it's very, very rare. So I think in both of those cases, like, get as much game experience as you can and continue to develop. And Van Dyke, like, Van Dyke has the physical tools to be great. He's adjusting to a new offense. And yes, he lost his top receiver. 
And he, he truly doesn't have a guy who can get open vertically. And that's what he does best. And so it, it's about developing. And I, I watched him and put together a package. I was with uh, Fowler and Herb Street two weeks ago doing the, that A&M game down in College Station. And based off the first half, like, he is staring down receivers like you would see in a high school game. And bringing safety, like blatantly bringing safeties over to, to, you know, break up passes at the last second that if he just looked them off for a split second and then came back to his initial read, he's got a completion. And those are like little things, but they add up. And it's, it shows the true sign of where a quarterback is in his development. Yeah, see, I love that description because I think back immediately like all the huddle, like anything that I'd watch of a high school quarterback and some recruiting video, and he drops back waits for the go route to the left side. He's like just padding the ball. Right. He's never once looked anywhere else the entire time. <laughs> right, wait, so, all right, come on. Get, throws get the pop-up. Right. Guy yeah. catches it, and it's like, <laughs> man, this guy's amazing. Uh, Richardson, to me, is, is disappointing, but you did bring up a good point. I mean, I think it's like 64 pass attempts total before this season in his career, yeah. or just last year. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm so frustrated on Saturdays with, with one read and run guys. Like, it's great that you can run. It's great. But then when you start talking about somebody being a first round pick and what I saw from Utah's, I thought I saw the whole toolbox. I saw somebody that was patient, as you mentioned, was actually yeah. going through some of these progressions. And I don't know that the Florida, like, I like Florida's running backs better than the receivers, but. Then it was like, okay, maybe I'll burn you with this run here. I'm going to change my arm angle here. I'm going to roll out, but not to run. I'm going to just move outside of the pocket and get a passing lane. I was like, this is really impressive. Because when I saw him projected as a first rounder, I was like, man, I don't know. Again, I hadn't seen enough. You were going on some of the tool stuff. And since that point, it just, it's been a disaster. And yeah, so I, you're I, saying I, they've, they've just changed the way they played him off the Utah tape. Well, Utah, typically we, we think of Utah, it's like big defensive linemen. Really disciplined defensive structure, good linebacker play. That Utah's not Utah on the defensive front seven this year. So I think we all kind of assume, but wait, if you can do this against Utah, Utah's always so buttoned up on the defensive side that he's going to be all right. Then Mark Stoops and that whole staff, I mean, they'll tell you, if you talk to them, they were pissed. I mean, it, I was on the sideline during that game. It was like, I can't even say half the things, obviously, that I heard, but like, Heisman, my ass. Like, this guy's a Heisman? You're talking about him as a Heisman? Uh-uh. Like, every player, like, it was Heisman, Heisman, Heisman. It drove them nuts, and that's what Stoops did to motivate them because he knew what to do game plan-wise. It's one thing as a coach to know what to do. It's another thing to get the buy-in from your defensive players. Like, we're not going to get a lot of sacks today. That's fine. But we're going to take this Heisman guy. Everyone's saying, like, in our, in our division of our conference is going to be a Heisman Trophy winner. We're going to ruin his career. We're going to ruin his season today. Like, that's our job. And if you buy into what I'm telling you, we're going to, it's going to be over by the end of the night. And that, the focus was pretty remarkable. And I've done 100 games on the sideline. But to hear every defensive player coming off the field, like, punching each other, elbow, like, Heisman. Yeah, that's Heisman over there. It was fun. It was, it was really interesting to watch. But when you take away that run element from him, he becomes pretty ordinary because he's still learning as a pocket passer and he's forcing things. And everything, like when you watch the, the true, like when you watch Stroud, when you watch Bryce Hill, when they're in the pocket, it's, it's easy, it's fast, it's efficient, it's, it's dis, uh, distribute like a great point guard. With Anthony, like if things break open and he extends a play and there's a receiver open down the field, you got huge play potential, like chunks. 
but but the easy stuff is not yet easy enough if that makes any sense yeah it makes a lot of sense okay so you've got levis this week i'm i feel like i should like him more and i i, I don't know i don't know what the hesitation is and again well, all first this of all is- i'm gonna i'm gonna jump you here because he, he's your kind of guy you know tim tebow brady quinn like weight room fanatic bench press squats you know, big chest, big arms, like all that stuff. All the stuff that I don't have, that Brady doesn't have. It's the only time in my life I'm ever going to put those two names together. But you know what I mean? Like, find me a quarterback in the NFL who's like a weight room legend. That's a, that's a real success. Jalen Hurts. All right. Yeah, he's he's more lower body, though. He's more like the 600-pound yeah. 600, 600 squats. Yeah, he's a big squat My point guy. is, remember we used to always talk about it, and this is when you and I were like hanging out a lot and talk, just talking about before, like Tebow was too pumped up. And the short throws, like uh. the layups, well, yeah, not for you, I know. I saw, I saw your head nod. Uh, and, and, and Brady Quinn was the perfect example. Like when you can, like, you know, rear back and just drive the ball down the field, and yeah, there's like, there's accuracy there. But when it comes to like touch and finesse, Levis is missing inside the strike zone too much and, and, and taking away from yards after catch and sometimes missing just outside the strike zone and, and it's leading to incompletions. So that's like a little thing that he has to work on. And I've talked to, to scouts and the people of Kentucky and they all say like, Hey, yeah, it's great. He's a legend in the weight room and it's great because it gets everyone else involved and he's leading by example, but they have to reel him back in at times. And, and because it's like, it, we can't get you too pumped up where you you're not able to make these easy throws. And so I just think it's his short accuracy suffers from his obsession with weight training. So that's going to be something he has to work on. It's it's not going to get solved in in the next few months, but hopefully when he gets with a, you know, a quarterback coach and with a right training regimen leading up to the draft and, and into his, into his NFL career, he'll, he'll rectify that. But on the flip side, the thing with Levis that I think people kind of don't know yet and hopefully we'll continue to get the message out this guy's work ethic leadership personal character football character are exceptional i've got two quotes from scouts i I rarely write things down that scouts say but like when they stick out i always try to write it down so i have it for the draft prep one guy said um if you find a single person in the building or on campus that, that hasn't been won over by Levis or isn't just absolutely heaping praise, please let me know because that'll be the first. And I've spent months trying to dig on this guy. Second one said, what do you say? Whatever your grade is on tape, when you're done studying the tape, that grade is only going to go up. So like that's the baseline, but I promise you it's going to continue to rise from the second the season ends to the, to the day of the draft in late April because he's going to absolutely murder the pre-draft interview process. Like that's how good he is. So he like he's he's a really talented player. He's a better athlete than people want to give him credit for and maneuvering inside the pocket and all that stuff. He's got a big arm. He makes throws down the field when we're given the opportunity. He's in more of a progression read offense this year and he's excelling with his reads. But what you get from a character standpoint and just a, a like a willingness to work and grind through it. And I was even talking to Todd Blackledge today because I'm doing the game with, with him and Sean McDonough and, uh, and Molly. And we, he was saying that he talked to, to Peyton Manning, and Peyton was, sent him a voice text saying that, that um, of all the quarterbacks they had there, like in terms of everything intangible-wise, 
including like Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, all the other guys. Like, he stood out the most because of the way he works. Like he's a pro already. He's like a fifth, six year pro. Okay, the top two guys then. Uh, Bryce is probably my favorite when you combine what you watch in a college game. You know, this is this is somebody I've seen now multiple times go, okay, and this is what I love about the really good quarterbacks. Like, all right, this isn't working out. Our, our guys aren't getting open. Yep. You know, the O-line isn't holding up. I'm missing somebody. You know, our tight end's on the sideline. I, I need to kind of step up my risk here. I need to start figuring this out on my own. And I've seen that from Bryce multiple times. But there's a point of no return on the size qualifiers. And and I'm glad you brought it up because like the Russell Wilson part of this, like it started with Breeze a bit. And then it's like, well, if Breeze is small, that means that, you know, Russell Wilson can be good when he's small. But Russell Wilson is really, really thick and he's he's a terrific athlete. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, is everybody small okay now? And when I watch Kyler, who I think is probably the best athlete in the NFL. Him being small is showing up to be a detriment more on Sundays than I think people want to admit. Yeah. And it, you know, I remember like watching Luca before the NBA draft going, God, this guy's amazing. He's this young. He's played against men. He's one at this high level, but I don't know if he's that quick twitchy perimeter thing that I need out of all NBA guys. And guess what? He isn't. And it doesn't matter because he's so damn big and he knows all the angles. And he puts his hip right on you and dribbles right past you. And it's super easy, but it doesn't mean then moving forward, I go, Hey, this guy's not athletic and he's a perimeter player. Okay. Well, Luca worked out. And right. I think there's I think there's this trend now with quarterbacks where we think all small guys, it doesn't matter anymore. When I think Wilson and Breeze are still the exception. For Murray, it you can see he has problems sometimes seeing yeah. past his own no offensive line that I wouldn't be in a hurry if Bryce Young's really 5'10, 180 something, even though he might be my favorite personality on the field with the way he commands a college game. That still would scare the shit out of me when we're talking about a top five pick. Yeah, he's going to be the most most interesting player to, to evaluate. And there are going to be guys that are like, I don't care about the size. And then there are going to be guys that are like, he just doesn't fit the prototype. And it's going to be from team to team. Like I can I can already hear the conversations that I'm going to have in March and April with the NFL GMs. And like, yeah, it's just like, I'm not worried about it. We're, you know, like the way he moves in the pocket. And then there are going to be other guys like, I just... You know, my job's on the line. Like we, we can't we can't use a top five pick on a player who doesn't come close to meeting the meaning the prototype. And, and let's face it, it, the prototype used to be six four, two twenty-five. Now it's like six one, six two, two ten with more athleticism. And and we're all adjusting to that, and that's great. Because that's how the game's changing. It's more in space, it's more about distributing and 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 speeding things up. I, there's something about Bryce Young though. And it really comes down to your instinct and your experience evaluating. There's something about Bryce Young that makes me think he can be the outlier. Like the guys you just talked about, like they're the outliers, right? Russell has definitely been the outlier. Drew Brees was definitely an outlier. I think he has those qualities, like maneuvering inside the pocket to find passing windows, playing in the biggest games and playing his best football in the biggest games, carrying his team, when, when they need him to pick him up and, and just throwing him on his shoulders and doing whatever it takes to win. The Texas game was a great example late in that football game. I also love the fact, like, it's when you have first-round wide receivers, when you, like even last year with Mechie, I know it wasn't a first-rounder, but it would have been an early second-round pick if it wasn't for the injury. Jamison would have been probably the fifth or sixth overall pick. 
Jameson Williams, had he not got injured, and he still went high in the first round with Detroit trading up for him. Now he doesn't have that. And, and we can get into Alabama recruiting, and I hear like everyone, it's just not the same, and Alabama doesn't have it. They're not the same team. And I don't I tend to agree with what a lot of the stuff that's being said. Said they don't have the speed and experience on the outside. But for a scout, for an evaluator, this is gold. Like, all right, now you don't have all the stuff that you bought, all these great toys around you. Now show me what you really are. And if he keeps playing at a high level and keeps like raising the bar for Alabama and making them, finding a way to win, then we're finding out who he really is as a player. Because it's, it's not easy, but it's not as hard as like Will Levis has it as, at Kentucky to go out and throw for 320 yards. And, and put up four or five touchdown passes. Now he's got to grind to earn it. So th- this year is going to be huge for him. And if he continues to find a way to win and, and to get it done, then I, I, to me, he's proving right in front of our eyes against the best competition that you can play in college football that he, he's capable of overcoming that size at the next level. Yeah, also, people super spoiled about this Bama run at wide receiver. We're talking about four first-rounders in a very short amount of time. Mechie was a terrific player, and then now... Yeah, now yeah. Own- people forget, so, like, it, it started, and it wasn't always, it wasn't always with Bryce Young, but, I mean, it was, but in the, in the, it was Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddell, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith. Then right. you get, you get a transfer, Jamison Williams comes in from Ohio State. He's the, I still argue, the best player in college football last year, the most impactful player in all of college football, was Jameis. And you got Mechie, who does all the dirty work on the opposite side. It was like the perfect combination. So you're talking about six receivers that are absolute superstars in college and five of them that are first-rounders. So that's what you've been dealing with at Alabama for the last, what, five years now, four or five years? And now it's different. They don't have those guys. Yeah, and I also think it's a mistake, too, to just write off this entire core. They didn't have any experience no, really, I agree. the receiver. And and I felt even, now granted, it's Vandy, but looking at some of that game, I'm like, you know, a couple of these guys are probably going to pop. Are they going to pop where you're saying this guy's a certified first rounder a couple of years from now? No, that run is unprecedented, but almost only challenged by the next guy that I want to talk about in Stroud, because physically, Stroud, I like him better than Bryce. I got to see Stroud throw in person. It was really impressive. I mean, it, it yeah. the ball is is a projectile out of his hand with a really yeah. compact, I mean, it, it's like a just a, a rocket launcher on the kid's shoulder and seeing it in person against other, you know, top college guys and the best high school players at the position. And you're like, man, when Stroud throws it, it's a little bit different. Um, Ohio State's the only other program that can argue about all the first rounders are going to put in because, you know, they they still have a couple guys right now that are studs after Wilson and Olave. So I'm going to ask you this about um the Ohio State quarterback situation. It's not entirely fair. I don't like making assumptions of like, because we've had runs before. Remember the stupid, like, don't take a running back from the Big Ten. Like, that went on forever because a bunch of them flamed out. And it was like, do you really think they're doing something with their running back specifically that prevents success? They're like, no, there's weird runs that we have. I know I've talked to you in the past about different programs, like which programs run stuff where it makes sense. You've talked about Oklahoma and what Lincoln Riley does where you go NFL people like what they do and they find it applicable. We've talked in the past about Baylor, how it just wasn't. Is Ohio State so good in their system and with their wide receiver? And here's Stover now looking like a stud who switched over from linebacker, defensive end, a tight end. This, this may have a little bit of a fields thing in it, and it's just a theory. I could be wrong. You'll know better than I do. But sometimes I wonder if they set it up where it's so easy for the quarterback 
that the NFL becomes more of a challenge for an Ohio State quarterback because I feel like guys run wide open with what Ryan Day and all those guys do in Columbus. And on top of that, how much more talent Ohio State has yeah. in comparison to the rest of their schedule than, say, even an Alabama does against other teams in the SEC West. I totally agree. There, there are multiple layers to this onion that you have to peel back. I think there's a lot like, there. I threw a lot at no, you. No, no, I know, but I, I think it's worth it real quickly. Like, I think, first of all, we have a perception of like Braxton Miller and some of the other quarterbacks. You know, they were more athletic guys that didn't work in the NFL because their their skill set didn't work in the NFL. Braxton but, wasn't an Brown, NFL quarterback. You're, you're right. 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 right, he was a receiver, but, but there have been quarterbacks that come out that they just you know they they didn't have the skill set. And remember, Ryan Day hasn't been in Ohio State forever, right? right? So, but but recently with Ryan Day there as coordinator and head coach, I do think they do as good a job as any team. You know, I'm not saying better, but there are some teams on the level. But they're as good as any team in in college football at, at getting their receivers open and making the reads kind of easier for their their quarterbacks. And I think with Justin Fields, we all said it pre-draft. Not whatever. I know I said it, and I know a lot of scouts I talked to said the same thing. He gets stuck on his primary, and I think a lot of their offense was was predicated on you know make this read, and if a if the quarterback you know winds up sitting, then you're gonna you're gonna go to the high. If the quarter if the corner you know is, is dropping back in, in three deep zone or whatever it is, then you're gonna take the underneath. Like make it a, a one read, and then if not, take off running, or then we try to get to the the second read. But it was a lot of one read and getting stuck with Justin Fields. And we've seen that be, become a problem. It has been a problem in the NFL, but he's still adjusting to that. I don't see that with Stroud, though. And with, with Ryan Day, and I haven't asked him, talked to him about it specifically yet, and I'm sure I will leading up to the draft, but it seems like they're, they go through more progressions. Like they, I watch his eyes. I watch his helmet from the, you know, watch the all 22. You can see what the receivers are doing. Then you watch the end zone copy, the tight copy, and you can see his eyes going from right to middle to left. And he does it as fast as anyone, anyone in college football, probably outside of, of Bryce Young in terms of how quickly he, he diagnoses what they're throwing at him and gets to the next read. So yes, I understand the history, but I think this guy's different is probably the, the short, short version to the answer I want to give you. I really enjoyed Hartman, Sam Hartman from Wake uh, this week in the Clemson game. I don't know that that's the best offense, that yeah. long mesh where you're like, wait, yeah. you want my, is my quarterback supposed to read the mesh or the, the, right. the, the defensive like, lineman? Am I running up right. two yards and throwing? <laughs> yeah, it's different. However, that dude can freaking ball, though. Okay, Kuiper doesn't even have him in his top ten. Uh, again, Kuiper. I, I don't think I think I've got him at like eleven or twelve right now too. But like, there's something about can he stay healthy? He's undersized. It doesn't have kind of a popcorn kind of arm. Like I, I just I don't know if he has the tools. But like, it won't shock me if he's in the league for a while as a backup or a number three for you know like and then just climbs his way up. He just finds a way. Like he's going up against defenses that are so like Clemson's so superior athletically. We're talking about two guys in Mur uh, Murphy and and uh, Brze that that are are going to be probably top ten, top fifteen picks. You get the linebacker, not got, the corners I mean, though, right? Not the no, corners not the this corner. year. But like, but I'm saying like in the offensive line for Wake, yeah, they're a veteran group and all that. But like, you know, there's only so much playing together and like playing hard and technique that's gonna 
going to help you against top 10 picks. So I just, I love, I, I, he's one of those guys you just want it to work out for because and he, all he does is win. They, they have to score 40 plus every game to win. And like he, I just picture like he's smaller than me. I just picture like me standing behind my like modest offensive line, looking at, you know, number 11 and looking at number five and being like, Oh God, we're in for a day. But he just like, he's not phased. Just like, yep, this is what we do. Here we go. Mesh it up. Quick read, ball here. And he just finds a way to get it done. So, yeah, to answer, he's a day three guy. He's probably six-round pick in that range. But I, I'm interested to see him in a camp in a pro-style system, learning things, smart guy. I'm interested to see if he can hang around. The thing that jumps out, and you'll, you'll hit me up after you do the full breakdown, <laughs> <laughs> is he has some I of that. I love how you've done a more full breakdown than me. I know. Well, look, I'm here yeah. to help. That's what buddies yeah. do, but mm-hmm. that, you know, these guys have these big, powerful arms and the velocity and we get all, you know, know. semi, and then it's like, he's, he is just throwing like, oh, I need just a little bit of touch on this one. I need this one over here. I need, to, I don't know. I felt like his accuracy, it almost jumps out now more because it's, it's a bit like basketball where you're like, oh, wait, this guy actually knows what he's doing. It's not just the physical gifts. This guy actually knows what he's doing a little bit. Um, again, I'm not saying he's a first rounder or something ridiculous it's funny, like that. Yeah. It, no, it's funny every year. Like you Basically, after the first three guys this year, maybe, uh, or in some years it's five, whatever it is, but you, you reach that line between like two, three, and five quarterbacks. After that, you, you're really just talking about back. Right, like who are going to be good backups in the league, and, and they have to be smart. They got to be able to do the starters' homework. They've got to be good and, and productive and helpful in the QB room. I think people people are always like, "Well, why would you take him so limited? It doesn't have potential to develop." Like because my starter is going to play almost every game and almost every snap, and so I need a guy. Yeah, come in, light a fire, come in, kind of hang on, and and mostly like it's it's about the prep work during the week and, and giving you the looks that you need and doing all the the, the intelligence things. But you get past like the five, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, Tyler Van Dyke, Anthony Richardson that we talked about. Then it's a bunch of guys like that, like Jaron Hall from BYU. Jake Hayner like, look, looks like the, a rec league point guard, right? But he, the dude just balls at Fresno State. Hendon Hooker's playing a lot better. He's, he's continuing to develop. You love to see that at Tennessee. Tanner McGee, smart kid, not very athletic, good arm. But he's got some potential. Cameron Ward from Washington State is a player who's played really well early in the season. Devin Leary, not a great athlete, but kind of can cut you up with his arm. Uh, NC State. Keaton Slovis from Pittsburgh. I mean, there's a lot of those guys that you love in college, and they're great college players, and you just want them to have success at the next level. But there's a cap on, like, the physical tools. You know, you've got to have a certain amount to even develop in the NFL. As a as a starter, you know Davis Mills is a perfect example. What is, you know, what is what is he going to be in the league? Like he's he played well enough last year. He's played well enough at, at times this year. Does he have the supporting cast around him? Those these guys are all kind of in that like they're not as good as Davis Mills. But Davis Mills is kind of right in between what you really think has a starting potential and, and what you just know. Like even if he has his best career, he's still going to be just a really good backup. Yeah, he's going to be somebody in this group. Like, hey, they're on a team, they're on a roster, they survive. Because I, when I look at depth charts for quarterbacks, like I'll notice that the I feel like the league kind of kills its own depth. 
because they'll they'll draft guys the third, fourth round. They bring them in. They've spent that pick on them, so they have to keep them on the 53. The guy never gets any fucking reps <laughs> ever. And then yeah. he just gets replaced by the next guy. So like right, he never third, fourth round pick. Right. So there's some of those lifer, but there's less lifer backups in the NFL than there are the next new guy that you're either hoping gets an opportunity, which you're not really rooting for because it means your starters out, or surprises the hell out of you by going like a Dak Prescott pick where you're like, wait, we actually have a real thing here. Somebody that went later that we didn't expect. So it doesn't, the way it's set up with backup quarterbacks, it doesn't really lead to any kind of development. And if it's like a Davis Mills who you're evaluating going, hey, this guy's a pro, like he's better than, you know, 90% of the people that we're going to be talking about over the course of a season. But if he's your starter in the NFL, you're going, we can't do better than this. And that's kind of the curse of it all. Like, yeah, you're good enough to be one of the 32 guys to start and your franchise is going to want to replace you every single year. All right. Let's um, chase Daniel. Honestly, I don't think he would be a good starter. And his him being no, a backup. No, I'm, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm just saying like in general, how good of a life is that dude live? I'm totally taking a different direction. Like 13 years. I can remember you and I were on the sideline from uh, you- Game day, but years ago. Do you remember? Do you remember? I turned to you. I watched the split drops with the, all the, and then he doesn't have to move on his drop back in that Missouri I, and I system. Said he's a short stop. And I he's turned to you stop. and went. I just turned to you and like as as a prospect, I'm going no fucking way, and, no and way. Because like, seeing it live, I'm I like, said, There's, I totally agree. Like he's just a short stop. Gets it, pivot, turn two, and he's been in the league 13 years. The How tackles are outside the hash marks. I I want to say know? I heard something ridiculous. Like his, if you broke his salary down by snaps he's taken the league, he's he makes a three hundred thousand dollars for every snap he's taken in the league. Something something crazy like that. Get your research team on it. We'll get him. We'll get him on that now. Okay, a couple <laughs> more things here. Uh, you're the GM of the team of the number one pick. You need a quarterback. Do you take one from this class? Or you take Will Anderson from Bama. I take CJ Stroud. If I need a quarterback, I take CJ Stroud. You got to have one. And, yep. and, and I, I believe in him. I think he's going to be, I don't know that he's going to be a superstar, but I think he's going to be a damn good starting quarterback in the league. And um, I, I would take, I, I mean, I love Will Anderson, don't get me wrong, but I, I would take CJ Stroud and, and feel really good about it. And, okay. but, and I should say this Will Anderson, I can't say definitively that he would have because Trent Balky kind of has a different you know, set of standards for for picking players and went with Trayvon Walker over Aiden Hutchinson because of the size and he fits like fits the mold that they're looking for. But um but if Will Anderson was the first was was in this past draft, he wasn't eligible, but I would have taken him number one in, in this past class. Like that's how good he is. So I want to ask about Micah Parsons because he's turned into probably one of my like I don't watch any NFC East games anymore unless it's the Eagles. That's my new rule. I put the Eagles back in, but if it's if it's Dallas and New York, I'm just I'm gonna do something else. The NFC East has fucked me over for years. I'm not wasting time with that division. Other than the Eagles, though, obviously. Did you, did you watch him last night? No, I didn't I did not watch the game. I did not watch a second of and that there game. Was, there was a play when he, he was working he was working like the B gap as a rusher and and he, they reduced him down. And I forget the offensive lineman. It's classic. It was like Glow- Glowinski, Glowinski, or one. You know, it, yeah, it was Glowinski. I think he just he he got him on his heels, quick first step, and just flattened him, and then just 
launched at the quarterback. The ball got out, but it, it was he just blew up the play in like two point two seconds. It was remarkable. He's a freak. I mean, he's okay. Man. How much better is he now than what your projection? A lot of people. I mean, he went twelfth. If you knew he was this, now we're talking about a potential number one overall pick. So, what was your Parsons breakdown compared to who he's become? I loved him. I, I want to say I had him as like the fifth or sixth best player in that draft. He was an off the ball linebacker though, who was great at blitzing. I didn't. I knew that he was going to be employed more as a blitzer, but he's six three and changed two forty six. I knew that they, he would be used in that way, but not to this level. And he also can cover. Don't forget that part. Like he can do all three: sideline, yeah. sideline, run. Best pass rusher in the NFL right now, probably. Right? I mean, you can make it. Yeah. I, I saw a graphic last night on the game in terms of like pressures per snap, whatever it was. He's like, like almost a third better than the next guy. In the Although league. I, I'll tell you, Nick Bosa had a move oh against the left tackle on oh, Sunday night. That was gross. Where, do you see? You know what I'm talking about? Where he's yes, inside I watched of the him? whole game. I watched the whole game. <laughs> I mean, I just love Bosa. Like, how low and long is he in his stance? Oh my God, he looks like right. every time I look at his stance, I go, "No one's ever been longer head to toe, right. hand to toe in in their three point stance in NFL history." Like they, they, we, someone in TV needs to do like a close up of from the eyes to the fingers or, or even when he's like standing in a, a two-point stance of the offensive tackle that's about to go up against both. Just to see like the nervousness level. Like, is he like, is he pale face? Is his hand shaking if it's sitting in the ground? Like, like I can't imagine being like, wait, rolling out of bed that morning and be like, I got to go up against this son of a bitch for 60, like 50-something snaps tonight. That guy's, I mean, both, like Parsons, Bosa, it's, they're fun to watch, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, and Garrett, I, I, Garrett's so in the conversation. I so, I mean, you know, then it turns into you don't want to leave guys out. But Parsons just feels like he's at a level right now. And you add in all the other stuff that he could do, that that feels like it's the right choice. And even though I make these NFC East jokes or whatever, like, I'm going to watch Parsons. Like, he's just, he's like... Parsons is like, the most interesting player on the field every single every single time. So I don't care who's a quarterback. I don't care what receiver's out there. Parsons to me is must see television because he does stuff that that very few people have ever done. Like Von Miller was really unique. He was he was smaller. Um, and he's just always been special. Like at Texas A and M, they could drop him into coverage. He looked like a strong safety. Comes off the edge with, with like the first step quickness. I, I don't think I've ever seen like the anticipation and first step. Like he would be on offensive tackles faster than anyone I'd ever evaluated with Von Parsons. Is so unique to me because I, I remember standing next to him. He was warming up Penn State game. It was like a you know noon kick, big Big Ten. I think they were playing Illinois. I don't know why Illinois or Indiana. Just a bad game, bad draw we had that week. But I'm watching him in drills, and it's like you know it's Penn State. They've got a bunch of dudes that look the part, and like you could be dropped on this planet and not even know what football was. I'm like who's the guy that's different here? And it's Parsons. He always he's only six three, two forty six. But his arms are down to like between his ankle and his knee, like to his shins. His, his arm, like he's just different. Like his muscle, like he looked different. And the way he moved, like exploding up the field in drills and then dropping into coverage, it's so smooth. He's, I mean, I'm not saying anything that people don't know, but I'm telling you, I've done this for 20 something years now. Like there, there, are only, there are only a handful of guys 
that you watch tape and you're like, oh, shit. Like, that is different than – and think about it. Like, I watch 425 players a year, probably 200 or so defensive players a year. And you, you see a player and you're like, okay, that's different. Von Miller, different. The Boses, different. I know they didn't run fast and all that, but the way they play the game is different. Miles Garrett physically, just different than everyone else. And Micah was different, but also so unique that he can, he can retreat almost as well as he can go, go up the field. And what he does up the field is better than what anyone in the league is doing right now. So who's better, him or Will Anderson? Him. And Will Anderson's different, too. I mean, I didn't yeah. realize, did he like, Will Anderson, did he lead the FBS in tackles last year or was tied or something like that? And everyone's saying, well, he's dropped out. Like, teams are running away from him, double teaming him. All, like, get up. The tackle for loss sack stuff, man. I mean, just all you have to do is go, is he destroying everything they're doing on the offensive line? Like, is he screwing up everything? Like, Khalil Mack, I think prime Khalil Mack is in this conversation a little bit there, too. Yeah. Where you were just yeah. like, Wait, that game like, against Ohio State, that, that to me was like, oh, okay, I got it now. You know who, you know, I don't want to name another name here because it's just now I'm, I'm naming names to name names. And we, this, this needs to be a very sacred group here. So let's, let's not add to it. Um, yeah. What do you got? You got Kentucky Ole Miss this week? And what's that? Yeah. noon Eastern kickoff, right? Yeah, I'm fired up, man. I mean, Chris Rodriguez is coming back. The running back from Kentucky. He's been on suspension. Um, you got obviously Will Levis. We'll see if Evans, the running back from Ole Miss, is going to play. But most like Kiffin versus Stoops. I mean, one of the best offensive minds in the game versus, I just already said earlier, one of the best, best defensive minds. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. And the series is always tight. Like this, this is going to be like overtime or like last, you know, last second play. It, it typically is that kind of game. You know, he's not afraid. Jackson Dart's not afraid. Say hi to my guy. No, he's not. No, yeah. he's. I just can't wait to Kuiper, like Dart and Dart or some kind of nickname. Flicking Flacco. Flacco's, Flacco's dialing him up right now. Uh, is he? He's throwing a lot of passes. All right, my man, Todd yeah. McShay, great to see you as always. Let's catch up again later this season, all right? All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, subject to credit approval, savings available to Apple Card owners, subject to eligibility, savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC, terms apply. Okay, it's week two of our college football top 12 rankings here on the podcast, so let's get to it. Uh, number one is Georgia. They're number one in both the AP and the coaches poll. I have Ohio State number two. I love their offense. I love their weapons. Stover, the tight end, who's converted defensive player. We mentioned earlier with McShay really quickly. Both their tackles, like one of them, I think is a top 10 pick. The other tackle is really good as well. And... You know, I don't know how you put Bam ahead of them right now, but the coaches poll and the coaches poll historically is a mess. You know, it used to be part of the BCS formula. The AP removed themselves. None of this really matters. But if you really like we used to really lock into some of the coaches poll stuff here and we would just laugh, realizing like how much they give benefit of the doubt more so than the media does. Um, but they're they have Bama with 26 first place votes. That's 26 coaches 
voting Bama number one. AP is only four voters voting Bama number one. Um, and again, in both polls, they're ahead of Ohio State. Uh, at this point, I would go with Bama. They are number one in defensive yards allowed per play. So that means they could technically be argued that their best defense. I don't like using stats still. It's going to get a little bit better as we get into more conference play and some of the schedules start to balance out a little, not always. Uh, by the way, the number two defense on yards allowed per play, James Madison. Uh, I have Clemson fourth. Uh, the AP has him fifth. I'm not going to do this every single time. Michigan's kind of the standard number four. I like the wake win by Clemson better than Michigan's win against Maryland, even though Maryland's pretty good. I think Maryland's going to be a good team. I don't think they're great. Uh, the other, Tunga Vailoa, uh, was terrific in that game. He got beat up pretty bad as well, um, but he's, he's a baller. So I would get Clemson ahead of Michigan. Not a huge deal there. I have Kentucky a little higher. Uh, I have them ahead of USC. I dropped USC from fourth to seventh. I'm worried about that defense. I'm worried about some of the tendency stuff with Caleb Williams, despite the insane talent from him. Um, and the defense is like 51st to this point. And we don't have a real signature win from them. Although, yes, I understand the history with Oregon State. And that's always been kind of difficult for USC. I don't know. If we're talking about you being a potential playoff team, we are going to grade you with a harder curve on this one. All right. Eighth, Penn State. I feel like Penn State's resume it's just a slightly bit more impressive than Oklahoma State's. Oklahoma State just always hanging out in that kind of seven, eight, nine range. It's just unbelievable. Like you look up and you're like, hey, Oklahoma State's still undefeated and they're in the top 10. Uh, I have Tennessee 10th. That's a little lower. Again, still some of the stuff is guesswork. This is where it gets a little interesting because NC State's 10th in both polls. Uh, I, I we'll find out this week against Clemson. I can't wait for NC State Clemson. This is weird back to back weeks where I can't wait for the ACC Clemson versus another ACC program, uh, non traditional program in the matchup. But I'm really looking forward to that one. I'm going to go Oregon over NC State over Oklahoma, who I had 11th in the spot, caught some shit for that. They lose to K State, win for the Rye guy. Um, whatever. I'm going to have plenty of these that are wrong as well. I don't even like that sentence. So. Let's go with this. I'm going to go Oregon over Utah because there is an element of like, wait, who do I think would beat who? Like if I had to watch Oklahoma and NC State at this point, it's that balancing act of your resume and the cost of a loss and how many times can you say, well, I still think this team would beat this team. Okay, but when does your resume make you no longer eligible for that being the tiebreaker? You know, all of these things kind of change, and that's why I just don't understand why people get so upset about having to do the polls uh, all the time or, or what the reaction is to it. Um, even though sometimes I do it as well. But I have the last couple, again, Tennessee 10th. I'm going to go Oregon 11th. Just because of the win for BYU, I think it's more impressive than the wins for Utah. And, you know, I don't know, you could compare the two losses. Say Utah was more competitive in their game against Florida than Oregon was against Georgia. What do you think about Florida and Georgia right now? Line. 12th, I'll keep Oklahoma because then it starts to become a matter of would I pick Oklahoma? Would I pick any of these other teams against Oklahoma? I don't think I would pick Ole Miss. I don't think I'd pick NC State. Um, so Utah's out on this one, and at that point, it, that's that's the win. That's the win there more for Oregon. So there you go. Georgia, Ohio State, Bama, Clemson, Michigan, Kentucky, USC, Penn State, Oklahoma State, Tennessee, Oregon, Oklahoma, your top 12. This episode of the Ryan Rosillo Podcast is brought to you by State Farm. All right, football fans, the good neighbors over at State Farm wanted me to let you know that you really don't have to get all that personal to get the personal price plan. Seriously, there's no need to tell anyone that you make custom DJ remixes of your team's fight song or that you memorize the choreography to every dance routine of your team's cheerleading squad. 
All right. I had a roommate that used to, before games, intramural games, wouldn't go to class. He was not a student athlete. Well, he wasn't a student athlete because he actually wasn't on any of the D1 programs that our university provided. He was just really good at intramurals. And he wouldn't go to class. He would think about all the routes. He would hope that the tight end knew that he'd wanted to delay after the snap, which meant snap it. Center was allowed to go downfield. Don't ask me about the rules. But there was just a, that same hand signal these guys worked on. Um, because he knew when he went to class the day of a big game, there was no way he was going to pay attention. So he just stopped going to class whenever they had an intramural football team. And that team went undefeated, undefeated for two straight seasons, 28-0. That student's name was Ryan Rosillo. That's right. The State Farm Personal Price Plan simply helps you create an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Uh, call or go to statefarm.com today to create your State Farm Personal Price Plan. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Worst take, uh, submissions. Again, the podium is still, what, Arenas? Gilbert won uh, on the honest take. Bart Scott, two on his many Chiefs takes. And uh, <laughs> we kept Perk in there on the Lakers having the best defensive backcourt with, uh, with Russ and Pat Bev. So that's our, that's our three right now. I'll tell I you, man. we might have a contender this week. I do. The, the Lakers propaganda this week was, was all time immediate. Maybe we'll do a little media week wrap up uh, at the end of the week, maybe on Friday's podcast, but I didn't want to get that into the open. Okay, so I had a submission that Kyle also has, and because we need to improve the vibes on the podcast, I think... <laughs> <laughs> Throw me a bone. Shucks. I, I, want, I want Kyle to have this one. I don't even have one now then because we have the same one, which is okay because off of yours, I think I can add to it. So it's the same topic. It could be different different submissions on the same topic. So the floor is yours. Okay. Kyle. Wow. Thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it. So Yeah, um, things are turning around <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, I feel great. Great start to the day. So um, <laughs> I, it is football season. I think it's bad that we have two NBAs on the podium. I just... There's enough time for that. We'll get there. So uh, this we will. Uh, Charles James II yesterday morning uh, said that Daniel Jones is just as good as Josh Allen. He just don't have an offensive line. Good night. I guess it was yesterday night. I don't know what it was, but he. I mean, I think that's knocking one of these three off. That's just a fact. Um, and I love that it's football. I love that it's insane. Um, I love watching Daniel Jones run around the field on on whatever day of the week it is. So uh, I I just don't see how you could look at that and be like, that's just Josh Allen with a worse line. So Charles James is everybody's hard knocks guy, right? There with the Texans. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You liked him a lot, Saruti. Uh I wouldn't say that. I think that was the last hard knocks I watched. Um, he was an enjoyable guy. I, I it took me a second to realize who it was at first, and you know. He's got a decent amount of followers, just firing off some hot takes, trying to make, trying to make some impressions. I get it, but that's uh, I agree with you, Kyle. I think that's that's going to be a contender here. For you the know, game. I thought this was a mean segment, and I kind of like I thought I had mean undertones. I don't think it's mean. Obviously, we're all joking, but this was the first time I was like, oh, I get it. I'm in on this one. I got this. So, uh, oh, I think I think it could be mean at times. Yeah, but I don't I don't think it is. And look, my my Tua thing, I think that could be nominated again later on if. You know, I don't think he was great against the Bills necessarily, but that's not really the point. Like, if the, if the Dolphins really do something and we're talking <laughs> like big time Tua stuff week 11, week 12, I would go ahead and submit it. I had another football quarterback take that because of the Tua one, 
because I don't want to do every week something I'm afraid to say and then say it because then it becomes the breakout video. And it's kind of like those old sports <laughs> center days where like, hey, do you have like a really bold, bold prediction? And you would just be like, what? Something that's definitely fucking going to be wrong. So you can play it on dot com. Like, I don't really want to do that. Like, I'll, I don't mind being wrong. But if you're telling me that you really want me to say something stupid that also ends up being wrong. And then I come back next week and you're like, hey, look at this. Look at this idiot. We let him back in the room. <laughs> and you're just like, what the fuck, man? So I uh, I have another quarterback one that's pretty dangerous. Not dangerous, but dangerous. So uh, to add to the Charles James one, the reason why I think we can do it together, because then I saw some some New York media members suggesting that because Josh Allen got off to a slow start that Daniel Jones <laughs> is ready to turn the corner at any point. Year three. Which is, uh, it's, it's seriously one of my favorite things that happens in quarterback evaluation. Uh, and it goes back to the old Peyton Manning thing. Because anytime your favorite quarterback throws a million interceptions, everybody just goes, well, Peyton Manning had 28 picks in his first year. And you're like, cool. And then what happened? So, uh, Daniel Jones. Now we are what in year, year four. Uh, four. Wow. Yeah. yeah, we're in year four now with him. And I didn't think Josh Allen was very good the first two years. I think it's pretty clear. Bills fans seem to really get upset about that argument too. Like, who gives a shit? You have arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. So, still some work for Jones to do here in uh, year four. <laughs> good one, Kyle. You too, right? Yeah, man. High five. <laughs> you guys are back. All right, we're just people helping people here. Um, I'm going to piggyback. I've got two like small ones from people who I think will probably be multiple time offenders uh, on this segment, but I don't, they're not, they're not candidates for the podium, but I'll just say them real quick. Ryan, I sent this one to you and I was arguing with Kevin Clark about this. Feinbaum said on get up uh, and Feinbaum again is going to have more in the future. So this isn't even, he's got, just, yeah, I'm, he's got I'm some human torch tendencies. Well, he's the guy that, you know, he likes to be. He likes to get out in front of takes like where it's like, hey, this is kind of maybe brewing, maybe not. But I'm going to be the first to definitively say it on get up or on, on, you know, and that's kind of like his thing now. And a lot of people do that. So it's not just him, but it is what it is. He said that Georgia looks like a better program right now than Alabama. And I know he's even said this on his own show. Like he's basically insinuating that Georgia is the premier college football program over Alabama. That may prove to be true. But he's just trying to get ahead of this because at the end of the day, like we're going to need to see more than one title. Like, were we doing this when Clemson won two? We were saying that they were equal at Alabama, but didn't pass Alabama. I don't know why. And again, this is an anti-Georgia thing, but I don't know why we're so quick to be like, oh, Bama's lost a step and now Georgia's the it program in college football. It just, it just annoys me. You know, I'll try to get ahead of people. Jesus. Think so, about that. There's that. Look <laughs> how that turned out. <laughs> Did I combine or compare compare Feinbaum to Jesus? Maybe. Uh, I remember Cowherd doing this take nine years ago. I think it was nine years ago where he was basically like Auburn has taken over the state of yeah, Alabama. Yeah. He was like, you know, Malzahn, he's got like it's future. You know, it's like it's tech. It's future. It's planning. It's scheme. It's this. Bama is this. And, and it just was like. I don't know that I want to. I want to start now. And here we are, nine years later. Didn't exactly play out that way. Uh, suggesting that Gus Malzahn had figured things out, and Saban was like it was passing him by. Whatever. I, like you want to tell me, Georgia is heading in that direction. Fine. Bama's number two in the country. <laughs> okay. Uh, the recruiting classes are still off the charts, and however long that baton handoff is from the greatest run we've ever seen in the sport to the next team. Like, I think that handoff takes a long time. 
right? That's not something that just, hey, title, couple weeks into the season, yep, it's you guys. I don't, I don't think you can safely, you can predict it, but I don't think that happens this quickly. And it doesn't mean Georgia isn't better right now. We're talking about the transitioning of the greatest superpower in the history of the sport to the next team. And that's, that takes longer for me. Yeah. Uh, real quick, other one is uh, Mike Florio tweet. And listen, he's going to be on here as well. He said, could Jacoby Brissett win enough games to keep Watson on the sideline once he's back? Spoiler alert, Deshaun Watson's going to be the quarterback when he comes back. Yeah, most, uh, most money ever to a quarterback, most guaranteed money ever, guaranteed every single dollar. Never has happened before in the history of the sport. I like Jacoby Brissett too, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. All right, let's vote. Man, that Deshaun Watson one though. That is that's that's up there. Does that replace one on the podium? No, no I mean that's I think Flo, that's Florio. Like he's I don't know, you know, we, nobody we'll save him. Deshaun we'll save Watson him for later. what he did, but like I think he's yeah. like extra. Ba- I mean, he just wants to. He kind of tries to prove a point. I don't know. Oh, that's, okay. I didn't pick up. I on think that. that's the angle there. But uh, no, I think the first one though. I would say, listen, if I if I'll take the first vote, I don't think it quite passes the Bart Scott. Like no one's afraid of Mahomes anymore. So I'll say I think it passes Perk though. I'll put it in the third spot. Me too. Absolutely. Well, I would just be, I would, let's, let's all be on the same team here. 3 0, unanimous. All right, there we go. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Cintas. In sports, you're always thinking of that next play. It's the same with business. Cintas has the products, people, and solutions that help keep you a step ahead. And your Cintas MVPs are the dedicated service reps who help make sure your team has what you need when you need it. They really got you covered. Cintas has workwear and apparel for almost any job imaginable. They have styles that are durable, comfortable, and great looking. And they'll deliver fresh uniforms back to your business every week. They'll deliver floor mats and restroom products and stock your essential cleaning supplies. They provide first aid supplies, safety training, and life-saving AED defibrillators. And then they'll even test and inspect your fire extinguishers, fire protection systems, and emergency exit lights. Visit Cintas.com and get ready for the workday. You know her as a golfer, former professional golfer. Her YouTube videos, uh, I was watching some of them this morning. A lot of good instructional value there. Don't play much golf anymore. Um, she's a major presence on social media, and she was named Maxim's 2022 Sexiest Person Alive, which is a super high ranking considering how many people there are. Uh, it's Paige Sporanic. Thanks for doing this today. How are you? <laughs> you still got the last name wrong. It's Sporanic. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I sure did. I think we'll just leave that in there. Sporanic. We'll leave it in. We have to yeah, leave it in. At this we have point. to leave it yeah. in. I was like, wait, that Maxim line wasn't that funny. And then it was like, no, I got, I got her name wrong. All right. Uh, other than having a complicated last name that nobody seems to know how to pronounce, <laughs> your background is, is really interesting. You're a big-time recruit. I know you've been an athlete your whole life, family, big athletes. Um, I think the interesting part of the transition is, is after college golf and trying to figure out like what you're going to do and who you're going to be. You know, That's weird for everybody, but you're a little bit in the spotlight. Can you take us through the timeline of events of when you're just this anonymous golfer trying to find her way to one post on 
what was it? Total frat move. Total and then move. it was mm-hmm. just on. What was yeah. that like? Yeah. So kind of a crazy background. So I was actually a competitive gymnast before I switched over to golf and I wanted to go to the Olympics and do national team. I ended up fracturing my kneecap twice and having a couple of really bad injuries. And so at the age of 10, I was in the gym seven days a week, eight hours a day. And that was my whole life. And so once I decided to quit that, my parents actually forced me because they were like, you're unhappy. This is not good for you. It's an unhealthy environment. So let's find something that you can be good at. And so I always wanted to be a professional athlete. That was my goal in life. And that's what I always wanted to do. And so my aunt, she's a professional tennis player, used to be a professional tennis player. And so she went through like a little boot camp with me. And I was like, it's just not for me. I don't love it. And so my dad took me out on the golf course and I fell in love with it. And so that is what I dedicated my whole life to. And I was being homeschooled at the time because I was a gymnast. And so I just continued to be homeschooled. I put all of my effort into golf and um, was a top ranked junior golfer and was going back and forth if I wanted to turn professional at 18 or go to college. And everyone around me said, go to college. You need to mature. You need to grow because I didn't really have any interactions with people my own age from the age of 10. Cause that's when I started being homeschooled and they're like, it'll be good for you to just go and grow. And so went to college, had a bit of a tough college experience, uh, went to university of Arizona first, transferred to San Diego state. And by the end of my college experience, I was like, I don't know if I want to play golf anymore. I don't really love it. Put the clubs away for two weeks when I was done with my senior year. And Two weeks later, my dad was like, you know what, let's just, let's just give it a go. You know, we'll support you. We'll help you out. One thing that people don't realize is how expensive golf is. And you see the guys on tour and they're making so much money. It seems like such a great lifestyle, but for the girls, it's really different. And so I didn't have any financial backing. Um, I wasn't in a good place financially. My family wasn't either. And so we're like, we'll, we'll figure it out, but I want you to try to play professionally. And so I was caddying, I was running junior golf clinics, I was doing anything I possibly could to get money to pay for my golf career. I ended up winning this tournament in Colorado, and I was sitting at this <laughs> frozen yogurt shop with my mom, and I'll never forget this moment. Literally the moment when my life changed. I was looking at my phone and everyone was blowing me up. And I was like, that's weird. How do they know that I won this like random Colorado tournament? (laughs) And it turns out that Tool Frat moved. They wrote an article about me and I went from having like 500 followers to 100,000 followers instantly overnight. Um, The article went viral and my whole life changed within that moment. So all these brands were reaching out to me and I was having to do all these interviews. I ended up getting an agent like a week later and I started to, you know, leverage the attention I was getting into just deals that I could get golf balls and clubs and money to pay for my golf career because that was still the main focus. And I never really wanted to do media. It wasn't something that I felt comfortable doing, being in front of the camera. I remember taking public speaking classes in college and my professor was like, sat me down. He's like, never, never speak in front of people. This is not for you. Like, don't, don't do it. Cause I would get so nervous and I, I, I'm a bit introverted. And so, um, the only reason I started to pursue that was to pay for my golf career. 
Okay, can you take me like I want to go further into like it must have been crazy. Now, granted, with the with the sports background, like you were recruited, so you, you've got people interested in you reaching out. But like you say, you signed with an agent. Now you're doing the sponsorship deals. Uh, how crazy or how dumb were some of the suggestions or the people just going like, oh no, I want to rep her, like have meetings with you. Like, were you able to filter that out, or do you look back? I'm sure you, there's moments of it where you're like, I can't believe I took a meeting with this person or whatever. But just people jumping on. Uh, the train and trying to figure out a way to like build the momentum that you'd picked up in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I, I think it's funny. Everything happens for a reason. And there were so many mistakes that I made along the way, but I felt like that humanized me and it really connected me with my audience. So people who've been following me from the beginning have seen all of the mistakes that I've made, the maybe the bad brand deals that I did, um, just being overexposed and doing things that didn't feel really comfortable to me because I, there was no path to do this. And I don't think people realize that there was no Instagram golf girl back then. I was the OG. I paved my own way. So there was really no one knew what to do. And even when I was talking to agencies, they're like, you either play golf or you do modeling. There was no kind of this in between that I was doing. And so, yeah, there were a ton of people who were confused with what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing either. <laughs> and they're just like, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this and see kind of what sticks. And that's just kind of how I started doing this. So you get an exemption right to play in Dubai. Yeah. Okay. The look on your face immediately is like, I mean, I know you've talked <laughs> about all this stuff already. Uh, this is, I think maybe when we first, cause I'd been on ESPN this whole time and it, like, we didn't, we didn't talk that much men's golf. You know, we'd have yeah. like Van Pelt when I was co-host with him, we would do a lot. Uh, Canel's a big golf fan, but it just was, you know, it was basically the majors and, and whatever. Um, but then, you know, you're getting all this attention. And then I was like, man, she gets dragged for everything she does. And then I started noticing a little bit too, which, which we'll get to it. But it goes from, wow, this is this great opportunity to now it feels like the overnight viral thing is being countered by overnight everybody being super pissed off at you. Yeah, it was hard to say the least. So I remember when I got the call to be invited to play in this LET event in Dubai. And I hung up the phone, got in the fetal position and just bawled my eyes out because it just was happening so quickly. All of this happened within a span of like six months. And again, being very introverted, I didn't really know what to do, but I knew that I had to do this to be able to continue to play golf professionally. And that was my main goal. And so I talked to my parents and they're like, you know what, Paige, you're going like, you're going to Dubai. It's an LET event. No one's going to be watching. No one cares. It was my first professional event. I get there and it was a shit storm. Like it was insane how much press this got. Um, the tournament director who has now become like a really close family friend, he said it was the number one red sports story in the world. And we got more hits and more engagement than when Tiger Woods played in the male equivalent of that tournament in Dubai. And he's like, I didn't expect this and I didn't expect it either. But yeah, you, I was in Dubai and I, I just remember sitting there being like, do I, is this the life that I want to live? Because you check your phone and it's just like the most horrible, horrendous things that people can say about you. And I had no media training for this. I wasn't like bred to do this. It just, I was a normal 23 year old 
college kid who was completely clueless and really was just, I wasn't ready for that moment. I truly wasn't ready. And I think looking back, you can see that now too, where I, after the, my second round, I was crying in my press conference or the, the interview after. And then the next year I came back, I was crying again. It just was so much for me to handle. And I did one, I didn't handle it well, but again, I think this goes back to like mistakes in my career that people have said that I've made. I'm so glad that I did that. I'm so glad that I cried and (laughs) I showed that I am human because at that time in social media, it was all about being perfect and showing how great your life is and never failing. And I felt like I was one of the first people to be like, I'm depressed. Like I have a lot of anxiety. I can't handle this. This is really freaking hard. And I just want to like crawl up in a ball and die, like actually literally die. And that's how it feels. Cause it's just all of a sudden you go from nothing to having the entire world, which it feels like on you constantly judging every single thing that you do, what you wear, what you say, how, what you post, how you live your life. And it, it was, it was exhausting. And it was highly overwhelming. And it took years to be able to handle that. And I look back at like the person I was when I was 23 compared to I am now. And I'm, I'm a completely different person. I think I've hardened a bit because you have to, to survive in this industry online, but I was super vulnerable and it was, it took a toll on me for sure. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's very easy. And you know, when I'm younger, and I think about like how I would feel or how I would say things and, and I don't care, like, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a jerk, but you're just, when you're outside of it, you're just so much more, you're just, you're just quicker to be like, oh, you know, I'm going to just hate on this person or whatever. And granted, I didn't grow up with social media the way you did in that, you know, I could just go and post and, and dump on anybody in the public spotlight, but it's so desensitized, you know, it's so desensitized. That relationship is very weird because I do think fame be- feels like it's more obtainable than ever before. So I don't know if the resentment builds because before it was just so there was such a gap. It never felt that obtainable. Like you thought you'd had to do all these things to get there. So maybe you weren't as resentful. I don't know. I'm working on this theory. But the point of what I remember when you did the Golf Digest cover and you caught all this shit for that. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Like they've had actors like Jimmy Kimmel was on the cover of it. The SNL guy was on the cover of it. They do some pretty provocative covers with other female golfers. And like what are we talking about? It's a magazine. They want people to pick it up. They want people to look at it. And instead it becomes, oh, Paige isn't good enough as a golfer and they're putting her on this to sell it. It's like, no shit, no shit. They're a business. I mean, it's, there's, this is why some people get to be on TV and other people don't get to be on TV. Like this is a pretty simple formula here. And the idea that you're supposed to just stay indoors the rest of your life to pretend you're this <laughs> altruistic person, not taking advantage of the attention. I just thought it was incredibly unfair and it was really disappointing. I think even, you know, I felt like a couple of my colleagues were going at you where I was like, all right, like, are we pretending this is not the way the world works? You may not like it, but are you pretending this is something new, which it certainly wasn't? Yeah, there's something really polarizing about me that I have one of the most loyal fan bases there possibly could be, but I have people who really, really hate me and hate what I do. And the hard part is is that I don't have the women and I don't have the men on my side. It'd be nice if I had some women like supporting me being like, this is feminism. You know, a woman 
building her brand and building her empire. And let's just be real. Like you have to use what you have to get ahead in life. You just have to. And I don't shy away from being sexy. I don't shy away from my image. And I use that to my advantage. And I think that rubs people the wrong way, but I've become really unapologetic about who I am and what I stand for. And I think it's empowering being able to be who I am and to make money for it. Yeah, look, I know people like the content my NBA takes, but, you know, I know part of the success of this podcast is my body. So I don't, I'm not going to apologize for it. It's such a burden, isn't it? I was like, man, I hope she laughs at this. Okay. All right. <laughs> you have, that's the thing. That's like, you have to have such a good sense of humor to be able to handle everything. And when I first started this, I did it. And I was really sensitive to all the criticism. And now I'm like, who, who cares? You can say whatever you want to me. If you look at all the comments that I get on anything that I post, they're hilarious. And you just have to laugh it off. So yeah, I will never take anything the wrong way. <laughs> Even the Wikipedia picture? Oh my God. That's rough though. That is rough. We, so I, it's one of the most unflattering pictures that has ever been taken of me. I, it was like after a five hour round of pouring rain, I look like a wet dog and I'm like half talking and someone snapped a picture and put it up and we've changed it like five times and someone's fucking with me because they keep putting up like a minute after we try to change it. And it's just, you know, it's, it's there. It'll, it'll never leave yeah. me. No, I was convinced that ESPN was determined to not let me become too famous because the PR pictures they would use of me, not that I'm the most photogenic person, I'd be like, you guys have to be kidding. Like, are you sitting around in a room going, use that one? He looks terrible. And then I'd be like, can we update this one? Your Wikipedia picture, I'm almost, my theory going into it was, well, maybe this is the way to counteract DMs where it's like, oh, maybe I'll, oh, who's this? And then it's like, oh, I'm going to DM. And then they look up the Wikipedia and they go, ah, nah, don't worry about it. Um, but uh, anyway, anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm going to change that immediately after I'm like change Wikipedia picture immediately. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, you. Are you messing with me? Are you I'm, the one that keeps changing it? <laughs> I hadn't seen it until today. And I was like, do I bring this up? Um, but I'm like, I'm sure she's aware. It's rough. It is it's, rough. And so anytime I post a picture, people put that picture up and they're like, you don't look the same. And I'm like, nah, I look, I look bad. <laughs> <laughs> You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Okay, let's get to life advice. We have some really great questions here. Lifeadvicerrgmail.com. Uh, okay, here we go. Um, all right, this is a really wholesome one. Six foot 230 guys just chime in with that just don't worry about it um writing in for thoughts or advice about getting the girlfriend and her daughter uh she's got an 11 year old daughter involved in golf for context i'm an avid golfer i take it seriously i'm a seven um i don't think he means looks i think it's his handicap uh, my girlfriend and her daughter have expressed interest and in wanted to go out for a round with me i know where this is going but we've done the top golf thing we've done a few range sessions they're not exactly hitting it straight or far and where you'd expect beginning golfers to be at skill wise uh taking them out on the course makes me anxious pace of play golf etiquette my sanity would all be tested if i take them out on the course they for sure don't want to spend the hours it would take on the range to get to a skill level where i'd feel okay playing 9 or 18 with them what are your thoughts is taking them on the course just a pipe dream and we should stick to top golf or do I need to suck it up and allow them, for lack of a better term, uh, hack it up out there and take the consequences? 
I mean, he's a seven, so he's probably giving them shitty advice and that's why they're not improving. So I would say that the best thing that he could do is get them lessons with a real pro. One of my biggest pet peeves is when like the boyfriend or the husband, who's not a good golfer to begin with, is trying to give a new golfer tips and they're just messing them up. They're like, no, 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 your grip needs to be this way. And I'm standing there listening. I'm like, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. So I say the best key is to get them lessons with a real professional who can teach them the game. And also there's different courses. Like you don't have to go to like a top golf. You can go to like an X golf, which is a simulator and it kind of, it literally simulates real golf and you can buy out the time. So it's not like a real golf course. We have to keep pace of play. There's also executive golf courses that are shorter. You go to par three golf courses, they can just pick up. Um, chances are the seven handicap is probably playing from the tips where you should be playing from about two tee boxes up. And he's the one that's actually slowing everything down. So I think that he needs to check his ego and realize that you can go at certain times during the day that are less busy and have it be a more fun experience. And it doesn't have to be 18 holes. You can play nine holes at twilight. You can do six holes. It really doesn't matter, but just be patient with them. If they're asking you to get out there and they want to play, especially the 11 year old, if you don't want to pay for college, the best way to get a full scholarship is to get in for golf. So I think that it will pay off in the end if he invests now. Okay. We got another one here. Uh, what's up here are the details. 31, 6, 6, 185. That's a lot. That's a lot for a swing. <laughs> um, all right. Only body weight exercises I've done. Uh, I've dad biceps from carrying around the baby. Uh, we had a debate earlier on this life advice segment where some people felt like your arms do get stronger when you have a baby from holding it all the time. Other people said that's just not true. Uh, it's scholars are still arguing about it. So just to keep you up to date on what that reference meant, uh, he's from Texas. All right, let's cut to the chase. Father-in-law is a member of a golf club uh, not too far away and is always inviting me to play. Super tough life, I know. The catch is, I think, um, what he does on the course is cheating and it's starting to bother me. He's a good golfer, around a 10 handicap, but without fail, he improves his lie every single time he goes up to hit. I mean, every single time. He spaced that out for emphasis. He's a serious golfer and logs his scores and is openly admitted to adding strokes to good rounds to keep his handicap higher. Uh, this comes in handy when he's playing member tournaments at his club or his buddy's club, like a tournament uh, he just won two grand at last week. So what do I do? Just bite my tongue, let him do his thing, thinking he's hot shit and get to play free golf all the time? Or do I joke that it's a stroke every time he uses his club to improve his lie or distance myself from the situation, play less golf, but with people I enjoy? Uh, Paige, are there any times you've ever turned down a round of golf because of the group you'd be playing with? I'm sure you get asked to play all the time. Hmm. Um, I've heard so many people doing that where they'll add shots onto their score. So their handicap stays at, um, a decent level. And I don't actually mind that because most people, when they're playing a fun round of golf, they're not following golf by the real rules. And so they'll give themselves three footers. They won't, if they lose a ball OB, they're going to take, you know, like, just drop it there instead of going back to the tee. So in a tournament, they're actually probably playing around the same amount. So that doesn't bother me. I will say that once I stop playing professional golf, if I have a bad line in the bunker, I'm fluffing that bad boy up. I am making my lie better. I don't care. I am improving my lie. So I am all for the stepdad here and the uh, son-in-law just needs to suck it up. I mean, it's free golf. Who complains about free golf? That's ridiculous. Okay, we got a million questions about just transitioning from 
the attention to influencing and figuring out strategically like where you want to be. Now, for somebody who's kind of at the entry level of this going, all right, how do I? Because I, I mean, I don't feel like I have the one email page that nails it. So I guess I'll just ask the broadest version of it. Like when you're giving people advice about how to make that transition and to make it work, it doesn't mean works for everybody. But what, what do you think the most valuable things are that you learned from looking back at that time for you? From transitioning from just getting the attention into actually having a sustainable business? No, I guess, I guess like maximizing the presence, like making it a, at a career. Because uh, I know we, we handled some of it in the beginning when it first you know, mm-hmm. blew up for you. But, you know, the business side of things or things that you're still learning about it um, that, that you could share. Again, I wish there was one that was more specific, but they were all kind of like different versions of it where it's like, hey, if I'm this person and I'm trying to figure out how to have a better social media impact um, to maximize it. And again, I think I'd caution everybody. Like I see these videos and everybody's trying to figure out like what's the last thing that hasn't been rated yet that I can do. Uh, we've got a bunch of people cooking in their backyards. <laughs> it's like, okay, I got it. Uh, you, your lane is is very specific to you because you have the skill set um, to to go along with all the attention that you've gotten. But is the, is there one part of your social media strategy that you could share with somebody who's trying to figure out if that's something yeah. that's actually a career for them? First off, it needs to be really authentic to who you are. So the reason this worked for me is that it's just who I am. Like I said, there was no Instagram golf girl before I started doing that. So I made this into a career. And I think the reason I've been so successful again is because I one know how to play golf. And so I have the knowledge in the background, but I also just feel very comfortable in who I am and who my brand is. It's very much me. So when you look at other girls who have tried to emulate exactly what I'm doing, it hasn't worked because that's not who they are. And so to be successful in social media, you need to have the engagement and the followers. And it's, it's, talking about things that matter to you, that are important to you. I think a lot of people now are doing things for shock value and they just want the fame and the attention and to be an influencer, but you really have to focus on nurturing your your followers. And I don't really consider them followers. I say they're my friends because they've been through this journey with me and no matter what happens, it's with Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or the podcast or any avenue that I go, they're going to follow me because they like me. And so you see a lot of people just trying to do something that someone like an Emma Chamberlain's been doing. You know, she just sits in front of a camera and she talks. Well, she is witty and she edits it in a really fun way, but people watch her because they like her. And so you can't just pick up a camera and start doing something and following someone else because you don't have that relationship with your followers. It takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy. Um, I do all of my social media myself. So if you get a comment from me, it's from me. I read all of my comments. I read all of my DMs. I answer my DMs. And you take the time to do that because it's going to pay off in the long run because if you respond to something, someone, they're going to be a fan for life. And I don't think a lot of people put that energy into the people who are following them. I wouldn't have a job if I didn't have the amazing followers that I do. And so I've been able to branch off and do so many different ventures because again, no matter what I do, no matter what I create, um, the merch that I do, I know that they're going to interact. They're going to buy it because they want to support me because I support them. And so it's really this relationship back and forth, but you have to give a lot to receive. 
Okay, we'll switch it up here. This is uh, from a guy checking in. The title is publicly approaching a nine if you're a six. Uh, our guy here is 28. He's 5'7", 165. Uh, he said, not unhandsome, but exceedingly plain looking. <laughs> okay, so just get that picture in your head. He says, I'm probably a five to seven on the look scale, depending on how much my height is a non-starter. I don't think I'm particularly superficial and genuinely care about uh, personality when evaluating women, but am nonetheless attracted to a very good looking women, the same as everybody else. I'm reasonably confident and a funny guy and uh, also more rejection tolerant. I like that phrase, rejection tolerant than most in my experience. Because of this, I'm pretty willing to approach women who are clearly way out of my league from a looks perspective at bars or other public social activities. Like what? Uh, it usually goes the way you think it would, but I've had a few successes with occasionally uh, keeps me coming back to the well in spite of a pretty high turndown rate. The one thing I've run into that generally annoys me in these scenarios is a few times women have sort of given me this attitude, like they think I'm delusionally arrogant about my looks and are also simultaneously offended because they think I'm insinuating that I'm in their league by approaching them. While I am completely cognizant that I'm trying to do uh, is is hit a half-court shot, some women appear to believe I'm under the impression I'm shooting a free throw and are not impressed um, and can even, even get a little insulty, I would presume, uh, to teach me a lesson in humility. So my question for Paige is, any advice how to approach women uh, or a woman who is out of your league that doesn't make you look like an arrogant psychopath, but which also doesn't force you in a position where you have to neuter your appearance of reasonable self-confidence? This guy's got beyond reasonable self-confidence. I'm actually, I went from like being impressed, unimpressed, unimpressed, like it was, it was a whirlwind by introducing some version of, hey, I know you're too good for me, but you want to, you want to start that one? know what I have for this one. <laughs> I would say that um, if I'm out somewhere and someone approaches me, um, if you just have like a good opening line and you're funny and you're engaging, I'll talk to you. Um, it doesn't matter what you look like, who you are. I think that's obviously the most important thing. If you do start off and you say something where you are kind of I don't know, making fun of yourself. I don't actually mind that either. I think that's okay. But I mean, it seems like he has a pretty good success rate for, you know, what he's doing. So I'd say just, just keep it up. I don't really have much there. Has anything ever worked like, Hey, you know, I'm a little bit older and have a boat. Like, is that something that works? You think? I mean, it depends. No, it wouldn't work for me. Cause Oh, that's I a no, huh? Okay. Yeah. Cause I, money doesn't impress me. I can buy what, Ever I want. So it's not like I need that from someone else. I would say like having a good sense of humor and someone who is engaging in the conversation um, that seems actually genuinely interested. That is like if I'm if I'm talking to someone and I see their eyes like going up and down, up and down, and it looks like they're just looking at my chest the whole time. I don't like that. And even though I'm setting them up for failure a hundred percent of the time, it's like just, just have a little self-control for like 10 minutes, 10 minutes. That's all I'm asking for. That's all I'm asking for. And then I'm like, okay, he's a winner. But if I can, if I catch you looking and you're not like, if you're not sneaky about it, I don't like that. Okay. A lot of good, a lot of good notes in there. Um, I want to end on a, on a, like a really good one here. I'm trying to sort through them all. All right. Let's see. I think there's a couple others that I tagged here. Um, should I read this long relationship one here or do you want to do another golf one? Relationship ones are fun. Okay. This one's really long. That's why I was, that's why I was a little, oh, this is about the guy. 
We were suggesting maybe on Monday's show that we pick up a shift bartending just to spice up the social lives. But then a guy <laughs> responded that his wife let him work at Taco Bell 10 hours a week and that the family loves it. And he comes home with like made up stuff that's not on the menu. So I'm not going to read that one to you if you if, just so you know. OK, here we go. Uh, this is for Paige. All right. I'm Sean. It's a bit long here. Five nine one seventy. Uh, I met a girl on Tinder in early August. I was infatuated from the moment we sat down at the coffee shop on our first date. Heavenly beauty. That's a full stop. That's a sentence. Heavenly beauty. This guy's a romantic. That's okay. impressive. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I could not believe she didn't get up and leave. <laughs> okay. Is this, this the guy same could... guy from the other email? No, <laughs> because the other guy would have been more confident. He wouldn't have expected anyone to leave. Yeah, All right, she's so, a heavenly beauty. <laughs> right. Things went well, and we had a bunch of micro dates. Uh, more on that later. Coffee, lunch, etc. For the next week or so, I would have invited her to my place sooner, but it was a catastrophe! Exclamation point. And I was definitely living up the bachelor lifestyle. It was a functional living space, but not homey in the least. Okay. Uh, how old did he say he was? 29. He did say, uh, um, uh, I think he's 30. So yeah, start cleaning up your place, man. Late 20s, 30, like, Girls don't want to come over and see stuff everywhere unless they're hoarders and you have something in common. All right. So, uh, thankfully, the day she suddenly invited herself over via text, my place looked amazing. So, I guess that was a good day for his place um, or least amazing adjacent. I put in that work. <laughs> the night we became, that night we became intimate and things were seemingly going great. Uh, so, going it lasted, back, what, 20 seconds compared to 10? Wait. Are you... <laughs> Making fun of his sexual prowess? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. That was a sexual prowess joke. All right, yeah, I wasn't was. expecting that. Yeah. Okay, that was good. All right, so um, going back to our first date and all the micro dates, there was some shadiness on her part. Uh-oh. She was working remotely in my city. We'll leave that out. Um, he also says where she's from. We'll leave that out. I learned that she was leaving Labor Day weekend. All in, we dated for three weeks in my city. Uh, in general, she's a busy gal. I'm not going to get into her job either. Uh, we met on Tinder, so shady aspects were noticeable, but I wanted to give her grace. Okay. On the whole, I didn't have any issues with the sketchy parts to our relationship. I was so enamored with her and still am. Uh, she brought color back to, into my life. God, this, guy's, this guy's got the flame with words. I'm surprised he doesn't do better. Um, and after three years of single, after a four-year relationship, it felt all caps incredible to put in an effort for someone. She even borrowed a book from me and read it while she was here. I'm picky when it comes to dating. This girl left me with no reservations. Okay. Um, he gives us a couple examples of her sketchiness. He said we could skip it or not. I feel um, like that's important to the story. Yeah, I agree, Paige. I agree. Okay, so let's let's get it in here. Uh, on our last weekend, we met at a gym early Saturday and climbed a bit. I left so she could do her thing. We had plans to meet up later at 11 a.m. and go to the coast. Uh, prime shady behavior here. No communication from her until 1130. When I had to text her. All right. So she was 30 like minutes late. Shady. Yeah. Yeah. Are you? They're like a gone, yeah. They're like gone a relationship. That's weird. They were supposed to meet at 11. He had to text her at 1130. Okay, so we met up and she told me why it took so long talking to some van life bro at the gym, talking her ear, love, ear off, excuse me. I wouldn't normally care. I'm not a crazy, jealous dude because I'm dope. Parentheses. Mm, sounds like someone who's crazy, jealous, me. 
Like my dad's uh, like, I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. It's like if you have to say that you're a nice guy, then you're probably not a nice guy. All right. So he goes, he didn't care about being late. We got the dope part. That was him describing himself. Except we had plans. I figured she'd be excited to do something. Like that. All right, man. She was 30 minutes late. And you knew how to send a text. And you think that's, there's far sketchier shit people can do than not respond to a text 30 minutes later. And I'm telling you right now, like I'm just jumping in with the advice before we have the, the summary. You can't text somebody. You can't be freaked out and go, it's been 30 minutes and then send that text. That sets a weird foundation for how freaked out you're going to be about stuff all the yeah. time. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that? I agree. Okay. Couldn't right. say it by myself. All right. So I will not interrupt again. I'll finish the rest of the email and then I'll let you take it from there. All right. I backed off uh, for plans for the day. Um, there was another day. We went back to my place, hung out for a couple hours. Hmm, I don't know, Paige said they hung out for a couple hours. She rinsed off. You wrote that in the email? <laughs> and came back into the room with a different temperament. She wanted to do something together. We ended up going up to the coast. Perfect day trip. Um, uh, she said she had a bit of a background. I don't mind. She's 25 and fine AF. I respect it, honestly. And I'd already uh, suspected this might be the case. So I wasn't bothered. Again, just happy to spend time with someone I enjoy. After a couple hours in the car, we drove home. The next day, we met up in the evening, got beers. Ended up my place. She stayed the night. It was truly great. The next day, she left. I talked uh, with a couple people and decided I wasn't going to reach out to her. It was best to let the feelings go, embrace the pain, and try to move on. She texted me that weekend. Uh, this weekend, I'm meeting her in another city, four nights, got a concert. I'm psyched for that. Rented a car, actually a truck he rented. Wanted to let us know he's a truck guy, not a car guy, uh, so he can do fun stuff. I cannot wait. Here's my question. I need for advice, knowing that she's probably not in this for love, et cetera. What can I keep in mind? Tell myself when I'm in that moment. It's a weekend for fun. That's what I want. Even though I'm in love, I don't need or want to be the focus. It's a chance for us to keep getting to know each other, experience, blah, 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 tips, tricks, whatever. So I guess his question is he's basically head over heels for her and he doesn't want to fuck it up. Okay. I feel like he already did a little bit. I the feel email like makes me think there's, there's some bad more. I think there's more to the story uh, that he's just leaving out. I feel like the micro date's a little bit weird. I feel the term. Yeah, th that's like. What does that mean? Is that like you just get coffee? Is that's what that? it meant there. Yeah. Okay, just get coffee. I feel that from what he said with a lot of missing information to make himself look better, that she's probably getting frustrated because he's not putting in the effort. That's like planning really cool dates. This one seems cool. The concert seems like he's he is four nights for that. too. It's not four a two nights. night visit. It's a four night visit. Yeah. So it's a little bit longer. He got the truck like he's trying. But like if someone kept asking me just for coffee all the time and just like not really putting in the effort and then they like expect you just to stay over. And she like when he said like after she came back and she was like, well, what are we doing? So she's probably feeling maybe a bit used on her part. And like she's starting to detach from the relationship because he's not putting in enough effort and maybe subconsciously he's not putting in as much effort as he should because he doesn't want to get hurt because he's feeling so in love with this person and he's feeling like she's pulling away and so I think a lot of guys when that happens they want to really protect themselves and so they end up kind of putting up this this wall and they don't put as much effort in and they think that they are but from a girl's perspective I know that I've been in past relationships where 
once they feel like they start to like fall in love with you or start to like you, it freaks them out. And so then they start doing the random shitty things. Like they'll say stupid things or they'll say a comment about a girl or they'll do things that are just out of character and it's a way to protect themselves. So maybe he's potentially doing this and giving her mixed signals. Cause I can see her texting her friends being like, he's not planning anything for me. All we do is just like hang out and then we hook up, but where are the dates? Like he's not taking this to the next level. And he seems like he's at late 20s early 30s and that's kind of a point too where it's like you know put a little more effort in like you're an adult yeah i mean it sounds like they're doing some stuff chill you know like that that's that's college level like you need to up your game buddy okay there's another good note for the listeners that weren't even emailing the show Uh, it sounds like they are doing some so i just think he's super into her and he's probably gonna fuck it up because he's not like this guy just needs to chill out he needs to completely, he needs to lower his expectations. Like he can feel the way he feels, but like, don't blur it out immediately at the concert. Hey, I'm in love with you. Like, you know what I mean? And I'm afraid like this guy's like a 50, 50 chance of that happening after a couple micro brews. He also is putting her on a pedestal of being like this heavenly beauty and this perfect person that he's in love with. And after what they've been dating for three weeks, like, they dated for three weeks, but they kept in touch. So. Yeah, like at that point, it's like you don't really know someone like all that well. And I think like guys can like build this person up in their head to being so perfect and so amazing. And every time she does something that's a little off script for him, then he freaks out. And I think from what it sounds like, he has a tendency to be like a little bit jealous and a little bit controlling. Too. <laughs> yeah, the 30 minute text thing, you think? <laughs> yeah. I, don't know, I don't really have the best track record with men. So I don't know if I'd be giving relationship advice. I'm like, this guy seems like a real catch. Yeah, no, you liked him in the beginning when he said heavenly beauty and then you turned on him quick. Uh, yeah, I, I love a narcissist that can gaslight me and uh, love bomb me. So maybe that's why I'm like, oh man, this guy's awesome. <laughs> uh, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time out of the day. I know you're super busy. Um, I want to let you know, like whatever you want to promote, just go ahead and get it out there. I'm not going to pretend to know what's important to you and what isn't. So just go ahead. Okay. You can follow me on Instagram at Paige Renee because people don't know my last name, can't spell it and or say it. So that's why I went with Renee. But everything else is my full name. So you can watch my YouTube videos, which is golf instruction, uh, course vlogs, and so much more on my full name, Paige Sprannick. Uh, Twitter's Paige Sprannick. And then I have a podcast called uh, Playing Around where I also give some shitty relationship advice. So uh, you can go check that out. And yeah, if you, if you want to hop on and <laughs> be a guest, I'd love to have you. Perfect. Yeah, no, people thrilled when I start giving out uh, parenting advice with no kids. So thanks, Paige. Uh, I was I was ready to start pronouncing the name right at the end there, but you took it away. So I don't have to do that. Uh, Hey, thanks again. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Okay, now that we say goodbye to Paige, we spent so much time trying to figure out how to say her last name, because I always thought it was Sparonic. And then Suri's like, no, it's Sparonic. And we went back because you'd like to know how to pronounce the guest's fucking name. And Paige was like, no, 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 it's actually Sporanic. And I wrote it down. And then we started the interview. And I fucked it up again. So we left it in. Iron sharpens iron, trying to get better every day. Okay, so uh, that's the podcast for today. We'll be back on Friday. Danny Amendola will be joining us. We're still going to do some different stuff. Really excited about some of the guests coming up. So thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Saruti. Brian Russell, the podcast bringer, Spotify.
This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 